Welcome to Menno HealthCast, a production of Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship in partnership with Anabaptist World. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today as I speak with Dr. Melinda Berry and Dr. Donna Minter. Dr. Berry is on the teaching faculty at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, AMBS, in Elkhart, Indiana, with a focus on theology and ethics. She completed her undergraduate work at Goshen College in English and History, and then went on to receive her Master's of Arts in Peace Studies from AMBS, and then her PhD in Theology from Union Theological Seminary in New York. Dr. Minter is a member of the Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship Board of Directors and is the founder of Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute and a lead certified strategies for trauma awareness and resilience or STAR trainer. She's a licensed psychologist with experience in outpatient and inpatient neuropsychology and with experience in forensic psychology. She is a peacebuilding instigator, implementing and training on talking circles in Minnesota, throughout the world, and even within our own institution, Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship. Both of them are part of the Nurture Council, which is the committee guiding the Five Life Standards Project of Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship. They're also actively planning for the Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship Annual Gathering, which will be happening this October, the 14th through 16th. Melinda and Donna, thank you so much for joining me today for Menno HealthCast. Donna, can you tell me what inspired you to start the Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute? Yes, and thanks for having us, Joanne. I started the Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute after I saw all sorts of unhealed psychological trauma, both in working in the criminal legal system and in healthcare, in hospitals, and in outpatient settings. And all this kind of psychological trauma, particular collective trauma, like structural traumas and cultural trauma and historical trauma that quite honestly, nobody was talking about. And I was like, I have got to find some continuing education training to be able to do that. So I found out about the STAR training that was created at Eastern Mennonite University, the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding, took that for my own professional development and then decided to bring it to Minnesota. We started doing those in Minnesota in 2010, and it went so well with very diverse groups of folks that then we started this nonprofit to continue the work here in Minnesota, as well as for anybody else that wants to join us, either now online as well as in person. How I've experienced your work is through talking circles. Can you tell me more about the talking circles? Yes. Talking circles, you know, they're a universal practice and we have our indigenous communities from around the globe and including on this land to who have really continued the practice of talking circles, even in the face of subjugation and colonization, that they have continued these processes as ways to honor one another, to solve problems, to solve conflict, to celebrate to build community, to build trust between people, to build relationships between people. I learned of the talking circle process specifically when I took the STAR training and then started practicing them even with my family and my friends as a way to us to build deeper relationships. So then as a part of Minnesota Peacebuilding, one of the trainings that we do is an introduction to talking circles to build community trust and peace. 
So when I joined the MHF board and then was on the Nurture Council and we started talking about annual gathering and Melinda joined us in those discussions, I was like, you know, this is a fellowship. Mennonite Health Fellowship is a fellowship, which means let's take some time to really build relationships with one another that are based on trust and peace, which is very Anabaptist. So that's how this all unfolded. We're doing trainings for people in MHF online. We're doing the trainings online. But then at the annual gathering, we'll be using this talking circle process, teaching it and using it to talk about the five life standards. You know, relationship building is really important. And I can see how you're thinking of it as something to build relationships within the members of Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship. So how do we use the skills that we learn in the talking circles in our healing profession? I think there's lots of opportunities. We do trainings with all sorts of groups and clinics where they're saying the hierarchy that is here is not serving us well. (laughs) Hierarchy has a place. It's very efficient. It's hopefully effective. And at the same time, there are much more wealth of information by being able to flatten the hierarchy where we have, for instance, staff meetings, where we don't just have the traditional agenda, but we start with a talking circle process that lets everybody to have an equal voice. So it's really negotiating that, but um, we've done trainings with nursing groups and we've had physicians at our trainings and other healthcare professionals are like, we're gonna find some way to use circle in our healthcare practice. Yes, hierarchy is definitely part of the medical profession. Interesting that you say it's efficient way of doing business. And sometimes we make our medical profession into a profession or as a business instead of a healing profession. So it sounds like we're breaking down some of the hierarchy and really trying to bring back the healing. That's how I hear what you're saying in part. You talked about trust and peace as being part of what the talking circles are all about and that that's part of Anabaptist theology. I think we're also delving into these five life standards, which have kind of come out of Anabaptist theology, and now we're kind of putting it back into the theology of healing. So I'm going to turn to you, Melinda, a little bit and have you talk to me about how are we doing that? What are the five life standards? How do you see it as a theologian? How can we put it into our profession? Yeah, it's good to be in this conversation with you, Joanne and Donna. There are a couple of ways I want to respond to that excellent question you just asked and mention that I have also done some circle training. It's in a slightly different approach to circle than what Donna works out of, but it's all really compatible. One of the things that one of my circle teachers said is that when you're in circle and something is coming forward, we understand that it's coming forward for healing. So there's something about the circle space it is a healing modality when it's employed in that way. It can be used to make decisions. It can be used to get closer to making decisions. Circles, as Donna's already explained and hinted at, are really unique spaces where we give ourselves a chance to let something else happen in our conversation. That's why I think MHF's risk-taking in using circles to help rebuild the fellowship component of its organization is, is really brilliant and appropriate. And that dovetails, at least for me, dovetails with this question you ask about 
the place of the five life standards. MHF was inspired by the work and the writing of Doris Jansen Longacre, who many listeners, I hope, are familiar with her name, or at least the cookbook that she helped create, the More With Less cookbook. I got into this both because I grew up in a home where my mother had, I don't know, she's like maybe on her third copy of the More With Less cookbook because it gets used so much. It was part of the fabric of home life for me. And when I was working on my dissertation and really working to find, wanting to find a woman's voice to help inform my peace theology, because at that point in the stream of Mennoniteness that I come out of, we'd been so heavily reliant on John Howard Yoder's thinking. And I wanted to do something that was more feminist, to be honest, and also kind of communitarian. It just so happened that Mennonite Central Committee was celebrating its 90th anniversary. And somebody asked me if I would write about the cookbooks. And I said, sure. And so as I was getting to know Longacre and getting to know her work and the companion that she started putting together, Living More With Less, it was brought to completion after her untimely death from cancer. A whole bunch of things started to click including something I had learned from one of my professors at Union, Dolores Williams. She talks about organic theology, and she distinguishes it from conventional theology using the metaphor of organic and conventional agriculture. She would use as an example an apple. She would ask us to describe an apple when we're sitting there in class. So we start, you know, talking about how it's big and red and shiny. and, And then, you know, we're getting into more questions like, well, where does it come from? How do you know what an apple is supposed to taste like, et cetera, et cetera. Her point was that a lot of theology that we receive is like this bright, shiny, ideal apple. The interesting thing about what comes to mind when we think of an apple is that it is a hybrid. It's been, you know, made to withstand all kinds of pests and to be transportable from one part of the country, you know, one side of the country to another And then she said, so how does that apple compare with the apple that grows in the tree in your backyard? Well, it's very different. She said, theology is kind of like that too. Sort of conventional theology has been tinkered with so that it becomes immune from heresy, right? It's developed over time. and, And so here's this set of beliefs that we think you're supposed to have to be a good upstanding Christian. But how does that theology, that conventional theology compare to the theology that's actually practiced in real Christian communities? I was like, oh, this is getting really interesting. And so it was with that framework. And as I was reading Doris Jansen Longacre's writings, because that cookbook is more than just a bunch of recipes, I started recognizing all of these practices and theological values and theological virtues that I had absorbed by the the choices my parents made about where to live, how to live, what to spend their money on, and trying to figure out how you bridge communitarian agrarian life with living in suburban and urban contexts. Because while my mother comes from a traditional Mennonite community in Eastern Ohio, My dad grew up as a migrant laborer in central Florida. He also had these agrarian sensibilities instilled in him, working the land and taking pride in food that you helped raise. But it was from a very different kind of cultural context. 
these life standards, do justice, learn from the world's communities, nurture people, cherish the natural order and non-conform freely, really did for my parents become this way of working out what it means to be a Mennonite professional who isn't living on a farm anymore. I think it's really exciting to see Mennonite healthcare professionals curious and wanting to figure out how to apply these life standards into the lives that they're living in really intense work environments where the values that brought them to the healing professions, right? The caring professions aren't reflected in most of the culture of their workplaces. I have a bunch of cousins who are doctors and friends who are in these professions. And these are some of the things that I've heard them talking about. So I am eager as a peace theologian, as a church person, as a fellow believer to help create these circle spaces for healthcare professionals to reflect on the cognitive dissonances that you all are running into on a daily basis and have to kind of numb yourselves to in order to put one foot in front of the other and do your job. Um, Let's address this chasm between all of the reasons you got into your profession and the reformation that happens when you're actually working day to day in hospitals, in retirement communities, in trauma centers, in research labs, in dentist office, you know, the, in that wide array of places and spaces and contexts where MHF members are, are doing their work. I can kind of restate what I hear you saying. I hear you just had this very practical cookbook in front of you growing up and as you explored it as an adult, you find so much more there that you really did find a theology of living true to Anabaptist values of peace and justice that were written out in five life standards, which you already stated, do justice, which learn from the world communities, nurture all people, cherish the natural order and non-conform freely. And that's what I understand the five life standards are. And of course, MHF has expanded them to our profession to be do justice for the health and well-being of all. Learn from the world's health wisdom and communities. Nurture all people's health and well-being. Cherish the natural order for healthy bodies in the earth. Non-conform freely to serve, care, and live as Jesus taught. So inside this cookbook, which is all about healthy living, and this is what we are, is part of a healthcare profession of trying to help people live healthy. There's this beautiful thing, like a way for us to live in this world that we don't always fit into because our theology, which is always here within us, like doesn't allow us to fit in fully to the world that we're part of because so often the decisions that we have to abide by or we're part of are not consistent with our own personal theologies. And so this is a way for us to see them and to have a clear lens to see our profession and and where we need to stay anchored when we're challenged by these decisions. That's right. And if I can add on to this just quickly, I will be curious to be meeting with you all and talking with you all to dig into some of these conversations. Like if we zoom back to kind of the academic context, I was also surprised to discover that in the 1980s, Mennonite Central Committee, so they had a world hunger desk, which is how we got the cookbook. 
and living more with less, they also had the peace section. And the peace section was called together to kind of convene a group of seminary professor types to do a kind of inventory of the different varieties of peace theology that exist. Lo and behold, they noticed that there are 10 different types of peace theology. But most of us are familiar with just a couple of types, including the type that was put forward by John Howard Yoder. And that's referred to as the pacifism of the messianic community. So John Howard Yoder and Lawrence Burkholder didn't see eye to eye. Lawrence Burkholder, in fact, represented another type of peace theology that was engaged with questions of social responsibility. So if people are curious, they can do a Google search and find out more. I think one of the things that I have observed over the years that's kind of propelled me on the, the intellectual quests that I find myself on, it is around this reality that Burkholder predicted that as Mennonites became more assimilated into U.S. American culture and society, it was also inevitable that we were going to find ourselves in these places of intense ethical dilemma related to the demands of our professions and the demands of our faith. And I think that you all in MHF are intimately acquainted with that. And I want to, on behalf of my own guild of theological education, recognize that we don't create very many spaces in church for you all to talk about your, your professional reality. I hope that that's something that we can work at healing in this gathering this fall. As I process this incredible information that you're giving me, I'm thinking like, so how do I use these five life standards in my profession. And Donna, maybe you want to talk about this a little bit, but I'm thinking about how do I apply it to individual patient situations? How do I apply it with the staff that I work with? How do I apply it to not necessarily my colleagues, but other administrators or that I work with in my hospital? I hate to say just tough situations, but like certainly in every one of those relationships and every one of those encounters, we, I come into, as I'm sure all my colleagues in MHF do, come into situations that, as Helena just said, are in opposition to my Mennonite, my Anabaptist theology. So I know, Donna, you as a healthcare provider, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yes, I would. And this has come up in the Nurture Council, our discussions. I grew up like Melinda with reading The More With Less, using it. I have a couple of copies of my own exactly the same way. And I love the book. And I also, this idea that this is how I need to live my life. And over the years, I've always struggled as a psychologist, as a healthcare provider, an Anabaptist one, that I'm supposed to be doing service out there. Jesus wants me to serve other people. And over the years, I've thought, well, wait a minute. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandments? He said, love God. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And in my experience of growing up in the Mennonite church for many, many years, there's yes, love God and love your neighbor. We have got to get out there and serve and love our neighbor. But there's not been the emphasis on that means to love our neighbor, we really have to love ourselves. So when I think about how do I, as an Anabaptist Christian who happens to be a psychologist, 
and working in the world is it is so important for me to understand how deeply loved I am by Jesus. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to practice the five life standards. What Jesus saying, the well is here, Donna, the artesian well that's never going to end. It is there for you to drink. You don't have to do anything. I've created you to be loved by me. You are loved by me. And the more I focus on that aspect, and then within a faith community, we, we say, yeah, and Jesus also tells us, love one another. That's what you're supposed to do. And then as we love one another, that abundance of love just spills out over. So when I think about that, I am absolutely grounded in that love, not in do these things. I'm grounded in that deep, deep love. I spend time in that deep, deep love. I'm with a faith community that I want to cultivate that there so that then when I go out into the world to do my work as a psychologist, that love flows out, that joy flows out. So for instance, I regularly meet with defendants who there's the court has said, we think this defendant has a mental illness. And Dr. Minter, would you do an interview with this defendant and see if their mental illness is interfering with their ability to work with an attorney to defend themselves in court? I've been doing this for over 20 years and I have worked to cultivate a loving presence, even though I'm doing work for the court with that defendant. So they know that in those moments we are together, they're cared for, uh, they're respected. That's where we are in doing that. To me, it is, you know, it's from the source to share that source of love that I have access to. Anybody has access. It, it's just, I've decided to, to access it. <laughs> and I think when we remember that we each as individuals have access to that love as believers, and then we do it with other people, whether it's in our church or at a gathering like this, where all these healthcare providers who have said they're committed to Jesus, there's an awful lot of what I call healthy power. We get to learn how to generate our own healthy power, which is organic. To me, I'd never heard of the phrase of organic theology until I met Melinda. And I'm like, oh, I like that, you know, but that's what it is. It just becomes an organic thing, which means I need to do self-care so that I can go back out there and do that to organic theology and loving other people up in my professional as well as my personal life. Donna, I hear you saying that these standards happen because I am grounded in the love of Jesus. Not that I have achieved these standards, now Jesus loves me, but because I am grounded in the love of Jesus, I can perhaps achieve these standards. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't have to do it by myself. That's the beauty of the Christian community. And going back to the fellowship, the Mental Healthcare Fellowship as well. I am not alone. I belong. And that's what, especially out of COVID, let's come together and say, it's been a rough road to hoe. And I'm from Minneapolis, the epicenter of need for racial equality. I mean, we need it everywhere, right? But everybody knows Minneapolis for that. And we're here doing that work. And I'm excited to get together with other people that say, 
this is what I believe, this is what I do, how can we build relationships and the basis of any good relationship is trust and support and safety. So that's what we want at annual gathering to create, not assume safety, not assume trust, just because we're all showing up, but we're going to build that together through exploring the five life standards. It'll happen because the Holy Spirit will be with us, right? That's how it happens. Melinda, I wanted to take it back to you. I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about organic theology. Donna brought that up and I just want to hear your explanation of that and how it relates to the five life standards. And In my area of study in theology and ethics, we are really preoccupied with methodology. I mean, I can talk at length about why that is, but one of the things that I discovered as I was kind of engaging in this, in this work intellectually is that Mennonites, we really prefer to emphasize the doing. I mean, that's, that's one of the way we distinguish theology from ethics is that theology is about kind of your beliefs and or sort of the account or of the nature of the Christian faith. We often, you know, sometimes talk about that in terms of doctrine or doctrinal themes. And that's contrasted with just figuring out what the right thing to do is morality. Ethics is the, as the study of morality. We like to talk about as Anabaptist Mennonite folk, following Jesus, right? And doing what Jesus taught us to do, praying the prayers that Jesus taught us to pray, communion, baptism. We're imitating Jesus as a way of showing or manifesting our commitment to follow him. So it makes sense for us methodologically to ask, let's take an inventory. Let's catalog all the things that we're doing and then use that data, if you will, to start putting words in place of some of those actions or to describe some of those actions. Sometimes we call this lived theology, that is articulating the beliefs and values, the wheres and why fors of Christian faith as observed, as lived out in this group of people, these communities, these congregational contexts, so on and so forth. So that, that we can also describe this kind of method or organic theology as homegrown theology. What does it look like to live out your faith? As people find out about Mennonites and, and start joining our communities, especially if they've grown up in other Christian settings, they often say this, right? That, that we were drawn to this community because you all lived out your faith. What we're not so great at, though, is those of us who are well-practiced in living out our beliefs, doing ethics, is if we can do a little play on words here, play on a familiar phrase, you know, some people say, practice what you preach. We need to learn how to preach what we practice. So organic theology is about trying to figure out how to preach what we practice. And again, I found Doris Jansen Longacre to really be excellent at that. Because the fifth life, life standard, non-conform freely, is precisely getting at this dynamic that Donna was describing, where we, we're all trained to do the right thing. Like, this is the right way to follow Jesus. And we forget about things like spirituality and grace and liberation. So that when non-conforming, that is, you know, being a good Mennonite, 
loses its freedom, then, you know, Long Acre's like, that's not gospel. <laughs> we live out this Jesus way because it's freeing, right? We aren't trying to exchange like one set of rules for another, right? Or one set of dogma for another. As we're having this conversation, I'm joining you from the campus of Goshen College, where I'm sure I'm not alone in the audience here of, of Goshen College graduates. And Harold Bender was figure who loomed large on this campus. And, and we still continue to live with his legacy. He saw the best way forward for Mennonites in the 19, like in the mid 20th century, right? In the wake of World War II, was to not get into debates about doctrine, but to focus on our identity, our peoplehood identity. And there was something really genius about that. But I think we are also at a place where we're, we're sort of reaping a bitter harvest from, from the seeds that Bender legacy has sown because we're so good at living the Jesus way and so unpracticed at talking about why we do what we do and what our values are, sharing the faith that is alive in us or the faith that we need support to nurture that in the wake of the pandemic, there are a lot of us who are like, is church really worth it? Right? Is it really worth it? And I say, absolutely. I mean, I think all three of us, we are, we are here. We are showing up in this space because we say, absolutely. I'll use the, maybe the metaphor of the farmer's market. You know, I talked about the conventional grocery store earlier, all of us bringing the produce from our gardens, from our backyard orchards, stuff that we glean from the unsuspecting apple tree that nobody seems to be tending to bring that all together and say, look at this harvest. That's another piece of circle practice, right? Is that there is stuff that is being produced by the group of people who gather and that the next step is to harvest it and to revel in the abundance of produce that is produced by our living when we create space to intentionally reflect on it. Is that helping paint a picture, Joanne? Yes. As a Mennonite, I'm not very good with words. So in my paraphrased and, and very simple brain, I hear you saying, you know, we have Jesus in us. Donna, you said that. We have Jesus in us. We have, been, we have accepted Jesus into our lives, into our hearts, and we have been striving for the five life standards. We don't know how to tell others that this is who we are and what has made us. And so here we are in this Harold Bender legacy, like we have this peoplehood identity, as you called it, but we haven't expressed it in ways that others can understand it. Or maybe we can't even make our children understand because we don't have the words for it. You know, I hear you going back to this cookbook as a theology book. So here it is, you know, you said there's 10 ways of peace theology, but you're pulling this 11th book, which is a cookbook because maybe it is in our doing, which is our daily chore of making food, that's really where our theology sits. And coming from our agrarian roots, which I've also come from, and my children so much identify with, it's still there and, we, and there is a value in that. So I hear you bringing up that value and that we can take it back into our practice as healthcare providers um, to preach what we are practicing. And so it sounds like we're going to explore this more in annual gathering, which is coming up in just a couple months. And 
just briefly, Melinda and then Donna, can you just tell me how, uh, give me a couple seconds of information about how you each individually are going to be participating in annual gathering? Yeah, and Joanne, I just wanna, before I get to that, just say, you're awesome with words because yes, you put it together beautifully. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. So my role at annual gathering is to be sort of the keynote or plenary speaker. I'm going to be offering some of these ideas that weaving together some of my own work with what I understand to be kind of the topography or different threads. And I mean, I'm mixing my metaphors here of what life has been like for healthcare providers throughout the pandemic. And even prior to that, right? You know, Donna talked about some of her work with collective and generational trauma. I mean, there's some of that in MHF because as I understand it, MHF itself started because there were some intrepid risk-taking young people who went to medical school, who went out into the world And it was a little bit of a scary, dangerous place because they weren't quite sure what they were doing there. Their their families weren't quite sure what they were doing there. And so they banded together and created this great organization as a kind of survival mechanism. There's a kind of trauma there. And now, decades later, everything's been reversed. And how many Mennonite institutions come knocking on your doors, you rich doctors, like fill our coffers, right? There is some healing to do around this, I think. And there is some deeper meaning to make and purpose to find in the healing work that you all are doing and how that is an extension of the gospel and ministry of Jesus, right? Even if it's not sort of called that, that's going to be part of what I'm going to be there to do is to invite you all as healthcare professionals to bring your professional expertise to interpret some of these things that we sort of take for granted as part of the life of faith. My favorite example of this is, you know, Paul's metaphor of the church as a body gets invoked probably every Sunday of every week. And yet we don't talk a lot about the things that can go wrong in bodies, how healing happens, how fragile bodies are, how resilient bodies are, and how some bodies can't heal. You know, our congregations are are filled with people who have daily experience of working with other bodies or working with the mysteries of the human body. We're gonna do organic theology around that. And I'm really excited about it. Thank you, Melinda. And Donna, tell me about your role at annual gathering. What I would say is we're still unfolding this, of course. And I love the phrase emergent strategies because that's how it works, you know? And what I'm excited about is to bring my knowledge base and experience around trauma awareness and healing and resilience and using talking circle process, teaching the basics of a talking circle process so that then we can use talking circle process to hear what people have to say about the five life standards. So there'll be an option of these five different circles throughout the day on Saturday primarily to be able to be a part of a circle. We're using circle process to reflect on the, the what Melinda is sharing with us and then how does this apply to our own lives? So I see, yes, healthcare professionals bring your expertise, but and I would just 
bring yourself, bring your life, bring your experiences. And that's what the queries are going to be about for people to tell stories about when I did this justice thing in my work and when I tried to, and it didn't work so well. These are not group therapy and that kind of thing. And at the same time, it's an experience where just listening to one another and hearing each other's stories and going, oh yeah, I've gone through that before. Yes, I've heard that. That's really good to hear that. It's creating these opportunities for listening and sharing around how do we apply these five life standards in a way that brings us Jesus's life and we get to share that love with others. Yeah. Thanks, Donna. Again, I really want to thank both of you for speaking with me today. And I also want to thank our listeners for being part of today's conversation. We hope to see all of you at Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship's annual gathering, which will be held at MCC's Welcoming Place in Akron, Pennsylvania, October 14th to 16th, 2022. Please go to our website at menohealth.org and register for annual gathering today. If you're interested in donating or becoming involved with Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship, you can email us at info at mentalhealth.org. We invite you to financially support the mission of the Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship to help continue this dialogue about the intersection of faith and health. Musical credits for today's podcast go to Paul Schlitz. Editing and production credits go to Eugene Savannah. And I'm your host, Joanne Huntsberger. Please join us again next time. <laughs>